0: with your permission Lord Jesus Christ truly present with us in this in the monstrance in this time of prayer and what's the topic of our prayer well I know I gave this topic in the month of May but I, I think only had one person in the meditation or you know, <laughs> so I think I could get away with giving it again and I usually talk about holy purity on the commemorative day of this adolescent saint, St. Maria Gretti. And what I, I've noticed, I've, if, I'm, if I'm not making sense, it could happen, but I'm jet-lagged from a seminarian program in Rome. So um, that's why, it's one of the reasons I am not making sense if I'm... <laughs> the, but I noticed, because I've been involved with this program for three years, and there's tremendous de- devotion to female saints. Uh, St. Saint Maria Gretti is one of them, you yeah. know. Neptune is that—that's her. I know it's a planet, but it's also a town in, of Italy. Uh, the Italian pronunciation is Nettuno, but it's it's Neptune, and that's where she lived in the town of Neptune. And many, many pilgrimages go there to pray to her and venerate her, and a lot of uh, young seminarians go there as well. And there's also a lot of devotion to Saint Bernadette included in this program was a pilgrimage to Lourdes and going to different places where Saint Bernadette lived. She was so poor, she lived in an abandoned dungeon. Uh, And there's a lot of devotion to her. Uh, There's a lot of devotion to Saint Therese. And the mega-saint that leads the charge of these many, many exemplary, contemporary female saints is the Mother of God, our Lady. And what's attractive is their intense affection, their their joy, their their beauty that is more of a spiritual beauty. spirit of service the the gentleness these women saints have and and their youth at at the same time mary's young by virtue of her immaculate conception but they 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 have this youthfulness that they would still maintain even if they were you know 95 years old and our lord called them out of this world at a young age And so what's attractive is their joy. And what is the secret here? The secret is that they have embraced a virtue that is kind of countercultural today. Well, I think all the Christian virtues are countercultural. They've always been. But I would say this one especially, uh, amid this pandemic of uh, pathological hedonism, uh, this virtue is certainly not in fashion. And it is, Saint Josemaria doesn't want to call it purity, he wants to call it holy purity. Now why does he like the adjective holy in front of purity? Because he wants to stress that it's, it's, a, it's a means that allows the floodgates of love to open up. And that it is a means to find True joy, and it liberates us to have an intimate relationship with Christ, to see Christ in prayer, to see Christ in suffering, and to see Christ in other people. And so he said he wants to call it holy purity because holy is connected with our Lord. He doesn't want to just talk about a certain stoicism or prudery, but a virtue that allows us to be. Great lovers of God and lovers of others, and uh, for the great majority, very loving spouses and parents. Well anyway, let's read and meditate on Jesus, one of Jesus' first teachings. He maps out his vision for his followers and It's kind of interesting to note in his first homily, or it's called the Sermon on the Mount, the first thing he talks about is how to be happy. And he presents eight ways to do it. They're called the Beatitudes. And in the New American Bible, I think, the more modern translation is maybe a little bit more accurate than the traditional one. The traditional beatit- tra- translation for the eight Beatitudes begins with "blessed," and the more modern translation is "happy." But it's very hard to translate the original Greek word because the I, I would say in modern lingo, "blessed" or "happy" really means off the charts happiness. You know, happiness is that that is off the charts, but I don't think that would read too well at Mass. You know. <laughs> So, But that's basically what it means. It's off the charts. And so it's interesting to note that to experience off the charts happiness, you've got to be chaste. Because out there, they're telling us the opposite, that if you're going to have a modicum of joy, of fulfillment, you've got to allow free reign of the passions. But our Lord says the the opposite. It's not about repression. Everything we have, every passion, every drive is good. Uh, Human sexuality is not only good, but I would say it's sacred and used according to the demands of human dignity, uh, helps a person grow and enhances that person's capacity to love, as long as it is expressed according to the demands of human dignity. In other words, according to God's plan, that it is always connected with total self-giving love and that it's connected with human life. And it's always, in, in order to have that expression of total gift of self and openness to life, it needs to be expressed within its structure. And that structure is formed when a man and a woman say, I give myself to you in a way that I won't give myself to anybody else in an exclusive, total, faithful, permanent, sacrificial way. And last time I checked, that's called marriage. Okay. And so that is the, the, the structure that is created by the spouses themselves where Expression of human sexuality is sacred and holy and leads to greater love. In fact, I'm going to—I'm not going to throw Saint Jose Maria under the bus, but I'm going to uh, pin the blame on him. He says that marriage—he says the marriage bed to him is an altar, and the expression of total gift of self through marital union is like a mass. Boy, you're really uh, stretching the point. Well, what is the mass? But it's, it's Christ's total gift of self to every human being. What is marital union? It's the body language of a total gift of self. And so that's why he calls the marriage bed an altar. And so this is not. This virtue is not about prudish repression or a neurotic nervousness about human sexuality. There's a balance. Uh, I don't think it's our problem today, but just for the record that you know, we blush when we even remotely refer to human sexuality, that you know when all is said and done, that dimension of our persona is uh, kind of base and you know easily tending towards sin. That's a no-no. That's Puritanism, where you know we, it, it's a topic you avoid. It's something uh, that, in a certain sense, is imperfect. So but I don't think that's a problem. Uh, the pendulum has shifted to another extreme where it's mundane, it's pedestrian, it's. Uh, hasn't lost its sacredness objectively, but given the mores of society and the moral relativism and the fashions and the mindset and the behavior, it's become quite understated. It's it's lost its sacredness, at least in the eyes of the people. Let's get back to what our Lord tells us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, what does that mean? They shall see God. Lord, you tell us that we can't see you face to face in this life. That's for heaven. So how do we see you? Well, God is revealed as self-giving love, with that Greek word agape. And... The more we exercise self-giving love, the more we see God. Because God is love. He's, that's what he is. That's, that's the definition that the New Testament gives to God, that he, he, he's love. He's self-giving love. He's not a reactive love. What's a reactive love? That's a real good, that's, you know, that's a pepperoni pizza. I like it. That's reactive love. Okay. Uh, gee, that's a, a pretty sunset. That's a reactive love or that's a page-turner, that's a reactive love, Uh, cheering somebody up, serving their needs, that's agape. Making a sacrifice to make somebody happy, that's that's God love, that's God's love. That's self-giving love. And what chastity does is it releases the capacity for this self-giving love. And I would say... There's three ports of entry into the heart of Jesus. One is the key one, the first one is prayer. Um, Don't do this. Uh, But if someone is disinclined to go to church or to spend time in prayer, and they come up with all sorts of intellectual rationalizations. Why, you know, they don't like organized religion or, you know, uh, the mass is uh, just not interesting, it's not stimulating, or they're a good person and they don't need to do anything else. It is a sign. I mean, I can can get away with it because it's my job. You know, people come, they want me to ask some personal questions, but I'm Still, I try to be gentle. At least I think I do. Um, usually, it's not a question of some theological issue. It's usually a question of chastity. Uh, these great confessor saints. I'm thinking of Saint Jose Maria, where you know someone said, "Listen, well, you know, Father, I have no faith. I've lost my faith." That happened to the Saint John Vianney as well. You know this uh, brilliant professor in France. He said, "You know I." You know, father, I have no faith. You know, this famous saint who would hear 16, 17 hours of confession a day. And, you know, no brilliant theologian. Matter of fact, he flunked out. And how did he make it to a priest? Well, they were hard up for priests after the French Revolution. Uh, so, you know, they took anybody. And, uh, but this anybody became, you know, a spectacular saint. He had private tutoring, you know, and he had, well, he was illiterate until he was 19 years old, so that doesn't help. And this gentleman came into the sacristy and said, you know, I just can't. I, I just don't believe in this, any of this stuff. And you know, they weren't into sensitive dialogue in the mid-19th century. And he said, you know, kneel down and go to confession. And he said, well, if I don't believe, how am I going to do that? So poor St. John got a little bit irritated. He was a farm boy, and he said, I said, kneel down. He grabbed by the shoulders and just brought him to the ground, you know? And he said, now start con- confessing your sins. I don't got all day. Don't worry, that's not my style. <laughs> Um, and, and then he said, now, now how are you doing? He said, after, after the gentleman went to confession, he said, are you okay? how are you doing? He said, well, now I believe. Well, basically, he had some issues he had to come to grips with. And St. Jose Maria said the same thing. Someone approached him and said, you know, I, I have no faith. He said, no, you, you, you have faith. You need a good bath. That's what you need. And he said, uh, let's, you know, let's uh, go to confession." And uh, this hypothetical person started to believe. So I would say step number one, more than you know, forcing ourselves to live any virtue, to speak to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament and tell him, Lord, give me this desire to help me see the connection between holy purity and connecting with you. Help me see the connection between holy purity and getting and having more fun in my life, to having more joy in my life, and help me want it. I think we need his help. And we take Saint Jose Maria's advice here. Holy purity is granted by God when it is asked for with humility. And maybe, we, you know, I don't know you, but I know Saint Augustine, one of the you know, all-star saints of the history of the Church. Uh, chastity was a problem until he was about 33. He was a party animal with a you know, emphasis on the second word uh, in his behavior. Uh, didn't want to get baptized. Mom wanted him baptized when he was 14, but he was already having living with a woman. So you, know, Carthage was kind of wild. Um, and he knew the, he knew the score. He was getting close to converting. And he had a good spiritual director by the name of St. Ambrose. His mother's spiritual director, I think. And he was telling our Lord, Lord, I know I need to be chaste. You know, and he separates himself from his mistress, has a child out of wedlock, and then takes on another one. And he said, well, I want chastity, Lord, but not yet. Okay. And so we need to speak to him about it. And uh, when we ask for chastity, it's not only asking for chastity, it's asking for, you know, desire to be. To ch- I, I really want this virtue, I want to desire it. So I I would say that's, we need the grace, but we need the desire, you know. And many times people slip and fall, very easy to slip and fall, uh, because the desire isn't deep enough. I I want that desire. Um, So our Lord first begins this way, and then he kind of switches gears and uses height mid-eastern hyperbole, but I would say he uses this hyperbole chiefly in the context of holy purity. Here it goes. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, Pluck it out and throw it away. It is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better that you lose one of the member of your members than that your whole body goes into hell. In another gospel, he says, he also includes the foot, you know. So, you know, eye, hand, and foot. Uh, so that's what he's saying. What does this mean? It means we've got to be bound and determined to live this virtue. He said, you, and part of being bound and determined, are you willing, you know, Mary, St. Maria Goretti was a martyr. She died for her purity. Okay. Probably, you know, I'm not a prophet. You know, I pray to God that, the, you know, that no one comes close to having that happen. But we are called to be martyrs of the ordinary, which is martyrdom. That I am willing to be countercultural. I'm willing to go against the current. Our Lord's first thing is that, you know, you can't look at someone with lust. And that is an indirect appeal to modesty. I leave a you know, what, what, ex- what exactly is proper or not, I leave that up to you. But what I think I could say is that dress wear is a sacramental. Sacramental means sign. It's a sign of your self-worth. Every person, whether they realize it or not, is worth all the blood of Jesus, is an image and likeness of God. But our behavior and our demeanor and the way we dress, a la 21st century. I don't mean, you know, you're something out of the Victorian age you know, or you're trying to rival your great-grandmother in dressing modestly. Uh, But what I am saying is that whatever century we're in and the fashions change, and, you know, that it reflect the dignity of the person, the dignity of someone sacred, the dignity of a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, um, and not because mid- immodesty may show more of the physical, but covers up the person. And, the, and, and immodesty is always a certain kind of a lie and reflects a certain lack of self-esteem. I'm worth I'm worth, what I could, I'm worth the ability to attract sensually. That's a lie. I mean, you're, you're more than that. You're much more than that. And I say it's, it's always a lie because what I have to offer is that. That's, I, I lead with that. That's my main talent, to attract sensually. It's not true. And so we don't want to obfuscate the beauty of the person, the dignity of the person. And that's part of it. Um, all the 21st century, but nevertheless, modesty. Um, I don't want to micromanage uh, how you live this virtue, but I i feel that I've been married about 2,000 times, maybe more. And uh, maybe a few decades ago, I wouldn't talk this way. but just through my experience of seeing people go out and commit themselves to each other and eventually get married. You need, I mean, the ideal is to go out and to have a relationship with someone who shares your moral convictions and your spiritual convictions. Because the only driving force today for chastity and respect for the person is Christ. The culture encouraged that in the past without exaggerating, but now only Christianity does. And there's just tremendous amount of brainwashing that cohabitation is the norm. And um, part of discerning whether even you go out is having these sexual experiences as part of your discernment process of whether you want to go out. Guys put girls on guilt trips, you know, if they're disallowed to take certain liberties, their their feelings are hurt, you don't trust me, you don't love me, you, you know, you, I'm not special to you. And, you know, it's the other way around as well. Uh, if a guy is trying to be chaste and the woman is, doesn't share the man's uh, spiritual and moral convictions, uh, there's something wrong with the guy. You know, what's wrong? You don't love me. You're not I'm not attractive to you. No. I respect you as a person. And so these are the kinds of ideas we want. And we have to get it from our Lord because it, we, we, we want to see that, that purity is not the end of Christianity. I mean, the, the purpose of Christianity isn't to be pure. The pur- purpose of Christianity is to connect with a person by the name of Jesus Christ, who is our ultimate fulfillment. And purity kind of opens up the door so that we could get to Christ. I would say the other thing, we're all, everybody's called to a form of celibacy, some permanent, you know, if they have that gift, if they have that special calling, or transitional celibacy, meaning, I'm celibate until I meet my spouse. But it's all about, purity is all about this total gift of self. That's why St. John Paul said permanent celibacy and marriage are, they're they're intimately linked because one renounces uh, the espousal love, a marital love, in order to give himself or herself to God, in order to have many children of the spirit and to have more of a universal love. It's a gift. What's better? Objectively, it's a higher call, but what's better is to do what God wants you to do. That's what's better. And the other kind of celibacy, the transitional, is, okay, I am, I, I'm going to live a, a total chastity and so that I give myself totally to God to, through my husband or through my wife. And even in marriage, okay, I'm going to live chastity so... I remain faithful to that commitment to God through my husband or through my wife. And lastly, I would say, as we look at these great saints, I mean, plan A is the ideal, but we have to be also into plan B. And part of this is because a lot of good people, I mean, there's not an easy virtue. And in this day and age, it's certainly not easy. And we have to avoid the one last thing, and I'm out of here. That we have to avoid the tendency to get discouraged. There's worse sins than impurity, like pride, like hatred, like lacks of charity, like injustice. But it's, 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 it's a sin that produces a certain kind of shame and discouragement. That's why it's kind of a prominent sin in the four gospels. And there's a temptation, and the devil could tempt us. Well, now that I fell, what's the use? You know? What's the get up, and begin again. And um, don't forget, uh, the first, very first evangelizer of the resurrection—you know—needed to repent over their impurity. You know, Saint Mary Magdalene and some of the women at the resurrection site. And uh, the greatest recorded evangelizer, the Samaritan woman, you know. Her track record wasn't all that hot either. You know, married five times, living with a guy. You know, and she went to confession, and she became a great lover of God. So we have to be also in Plan B. You know, we don't throw in the towel because we've experienced our weakness or we slipped and fell. No, we get up again, and we're honest with our Lord, and we're honest to, with Him in confession, and we begin again. I would say. Um, Lastly, to, to take this to heart, and we'll, we'll close our prayer, and I would say if he probably wrote this today, because um, he says, there is a need for a crusade of manliness and purity. There is. But I think there, is, there's also a, a, there needs to be a crusade of a Christian feminism, of dignity of women it's a crusade of that, to counteract and nullify the savage work of those who think man is a beast or woman is an object, and that crusade is your work. But Lord, give us this beatitude, help us live this beatitude, help us desire this, and help us be honest with ourselves and see what particular resolution we want to make. Mother most chaste, pray for us. Mother most pure, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel for me. Holy Mary, our hope, handmaid of the Lord.